This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor, joined by the whole crew, David, Brady, and Jordan. Today, we're going to be getting to a little bit of preliminary bowl talk and break it down a little bit of Georgia State basketball. So... They were going to be doing a little bit of a preliminary breakdown on Georgia State's trip to the Arizona Bowl. Georgia State will be playing in Tucson, Arizona, December 31st at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Facing the Wyoming Cowboys, 7-5 out of the Mountain West. So, how are we feeling? I think this is what we expected, whether we wanted to say for sure. We did kind of touch on a lot last pod. that This is kind of how I saw it shaking out, though there was a little bit of like, the light of, oh, Montgomery gets announced and it's Georgia State FIU. No, it's not Georgia State FIU. It's Arkansas State FIU. Uh, that was fun. Fun is a word to describe that, yes. <laughs> Chaotic. Uh, but I think if you take aside any of the fan stuff and, you know, we can get into that if we want to. But I think for the players, it's a good opponent from a team that you wouldn't necessarily play that often just because of the geographics of it all. It's a great trip. Arizona is a place where I think coach Elliott said four players have been to ever in their life. So it's a new experience. And so if you can set aside other stuff involved with it being on the other side of the country, I think there is a lot that there is to like just from a football point of view and from a, you know, player development life experience point of view. I think that matters a lot, too. Ultimately, bowl games are kind of for the players. I feel like people forget that. And I mean, Arizona is not a bad state. It's a cool state. Personally, I've been and it's it's warm. It's on the other side of the country. And as coach alluded to, not many people have been there. So, yes, is it far for the traveling Panther? Yeah, it probably is. But at the same time, though, that doesn't necessarily matter. You know, and it's as you said, Playing a team like Wyoming, I mean, when are we going to schedule Wyoming? You know, that's a fun opponent that you don't often get to see. This is how you build exposure and you build that national brand. By all means, this is going to be, I think it's going to be a good opportunity for Georgia State. And I'll say this, I think it's important to keep in context that if we were sitting here talking on August 29th, day before the Tennessee game, saying we're going to be going to a bowl game in Arizona, I mean, I feel like that would be a win pretty emphatically coming into the season. Um, so the, even just the chance that the fact that we're going to a bowl is going to be great. And those, the, this, you know, great for the seniors. And like you said, David, it's, it's, it's for the players and the players are going to get a great experience out of it. You know, getting to go to any bowl game is a great experience for, for, you know, like a college football player. So I'm excited to see Georgia state show out against an opponent. Again, like Brady said, that we probably wouldn't see geographically speaking. It's not an easy trek to Wyoming. Um, so getting to play an opponent that, Finished, you know, seven five in the Mountain West Conference, pretty on par, um, you know, in terms of an equal matchup. Um, I think it's going to be a good test for Georgia State, and it's going to be a chance for you know the players to go out and get their that one last game. You know, uh, guys, seniors like Dan. Hopefully, he'll be in better shape, um, you know, health wise uh, when New Year's rolls around. So. I don't know. I'm excited as a fan, as somebody, you know, from a journalistic perspective, getting to cover more football games is fun. Um, and just, you know, getting the chance to get more Georgia State out into the world is always a good thing. And it's not like it's a terrible matchup either, as we've 
kind of been talking about uh, the Cowboys are seven and five. They are four and four in their conference. So is Georgia State. And they opened their 2019 campaign by defeating Missouri on the same day we defeated Tennessee. So it's uh, interesting comparisons could possibly be drawn there. Of course, different conference, different opponents, a different team. But it's a fun little narrative storyline to kind of open that up. Here, here's what I would I would say is if Georgia State wins any of App State, you know, not that that one was likely, but just throwing it on there, ULM or Georgia Southern, then that's a team that probably gets a better pick. Uh, Sunbelt pecking order, Arizona Bowl was last, so, you know, take that what you will. But it was also a bunch of seven and five teams. So if Georgia State had a better record than the other teams, even if it was like a preferential thing where they would have won another team, their pecking order bowl might have said, you know, this team with a better record, we're going to go with them. So part of it does go down to, you know, results on the field and is what it is. I think people have, to some degree, some people have been spoiled by even within this one season by having the Tennessee win, beating Furman at home, and then having a four game after that winning streak on the home field. And they think, oh, the team's untouchable. We're going to win every game forever. Well, no, you're not. That's that's not how it works. And then they think, oh, we're going to go to this crazy good bowl game and we're going to have a good matchup. And then you get disappointed when you go and get selected for the Arizona Bowl. There's nothing wrong. It's still a bowl game. It's a neat college town. It's a fun time to go and support the team. People just uh, get a little spoiled sometimes. It kind of irritates me, but that's neither here nor there. Are you, Jordan, are you calling me out for saying that the Panthers were going to win out? Um, not specifically. <laughs> was, that a, was that a rocking chair I just heard as that hole was going on? <laughs> you know, yeah, you called me out on putting boomer dots on my tweets the other day, so I guess that's a... Uh, check me in the old folks home. Let's go. Boomer dots is my burner account. <laughs> <laughs> Boom a dot. <laughs> so let me ask, what are you guys looking forward to in the bowl game? Because obviously um, it's just an exhibition game. I kind of put that in quotes because it sounds like I'm putting it down, but I'm not. But, you know, it is an extra game that for Georgia State doesn't matter. But like there's still fun things to take away from it, right? It does matter. The team hasn't had eight wins in its history yet. This would be a season, a career high for the program in wins. Uh, it would Right, the tracks after what's been a slip at the end, one and three to end the regular season. And it also just would move Georgia State to a over 500 bowl record all time, which if you're trying to change the trajectory of winning and, and doing well, having more, more wins in bowl games than losses in bowl games is a way to point to that. So I, I take a little bit of umbrage at the suggestion. It's a, just an exhibition game. Um, not in any like negative way, you know, anger anyway, but um, I think that it's a little off to say it matter, especially because if if it's treated like an exhibition, then, you know, don't show up because the other team probably isn't treating it as an exhibition. I kind of touched think- on it in what I was saying earlier, but I think the thing I'm most excited for is just the chance for the players to go out and get an extra game, specifically the seniors, though. And I think. Um, just speaking specifically about Dan for a second, I think he had been pretty vocal about how, you know, the season, the way the season had kind of left a bad taste in his mouth. And, you know, obviously you can't control injuries and, you know, that was a big factor in kind of the way that the the season played out down the stretch for this team. Um, But given the fact that 
he's going to have a month to heal up. Um, you know, this, the other, other guys on this team that are also bagged up. So, I mean, just the chance to see this team closer to full strength and to play one more game, um, both as a fan and from, you know, somebody who supports the players and wants them to have a great experience and to be able to feel like they, you know, if they go out with a win again, they're the team that set the program high in wins in their 10th season. They're the team that went out and won their first power five game. Like there'd be a great kind of cap to this season that there's so many positives to take away uh, that I feel like are getting kind of lost in the way that the team kind of stumbled down the stretch. But I don't think that takes away from the fact that this has been unequivocally the best season of Georgia state football we've had so far. And I think a bowl win, I mean, you'd like to hope so would go a long way to cementing that in, you know, kind of the annals of Georgia state history. You make a great point. And I, I, I liked what both of you said. And I, I guess one thing that I, I'm curious about is how do we kind of channel the 2017 energy in this year as it relates to the bowl as a, instead of, you know, kind of that disappointing 2015 bowl game, because, you know, personally, I thought the 2015 bowl experience was phenomenal. It was the, this, you know, the best season in Georgia state history at the time. And, you know, Oh shoot, they're playing in their first bowl game. It's really close to home. You know, the cure bowl is what eight hours away from Atlanta, you know, and then they go and play a San Jose state team and the offense, the prolific offense that you just saw scoring 40 points a game in the past month, I think they scored what, like 17 against the 16. defense, 16 against the defense that wasn't even doing anything super special, you know? And I, I don't want to say that I worry that that's going to happen. And we can kind of get into that when we kind of deep dive into Wyoming, but I'm curious to see how this bowl trip will be seen and how this bowl game will go. Yeah, I would say it does. There is a difference between those two games and one of it is just the coaching staffs were different. And I thought that the way they prepared or what was obvious, the way they prepared, given how they played in 2017 is they used the month of bull practice really well. And so I think that, again, we'll, we will not just talk about the bull game this week. We're going to have another pod. We're going to go real more into it, especially on the Wyoming side, but it's a good defense. The bottom line for Wyoming is they have a really good defense. And so I think just for that reason alone, and given how Georgia State struggled down the stretch, I think outside looking in, it's easy to say Wyoming's the favorite. And I think they're about a touchdown favorite in Vegas right now. But the other factor is that Georgia State has a month of practice to sort out what wasn't working on offense as well, find some semblance of consistency on defense. And given the track record of the staff last time, I think that there's possibility that it is as good as they've looked since maybe October on that win streak. Yeah, so we'll see. It'll be fun, though. We've got some other sports, though. We do have some other sports. Georgia State basketball was back in action this past week uh, on the road against the Mercer Bears. If there's one thing I can sum up this game and kind of the beginning of this season is that Corey Allen is still a walking bucket. Uh, and that's <laughs> all I have to report. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> this is the guy who was advertised. I mean... This is what we expected. It's been a lot more inside than I, I I had gotten the impression he was, you know, Devin Mitchell reincarnate. And so that made me think that it was a lot of spot up shooting, but it hasn't been that. It's been 
him creating his own threes off of his own action or him driving or yes, spot up shooting. But I guess I didn't know what to expect because new player, but we can talk about him straight away and just say that he's been exactly as advertised on offense. And he is in whatever cobwebs there were of sitting out a year. Yeah, he's been really good. Um, I don't want to say that he's kind of leading the charge because it's been a few guys here and there doing a lot, but it's it's been pretty evident that it's going to start with Allen as sort of that focal point. Um, and even when he's not hitting everything, you know, he's still moving without the ball and he's still getting everybody else involved and allowing the ball to kind of run through him. Um, but it's just watching the offense right now. I feel like there are three or three competent scorers that'll give you that 15 to 20 a night that you need. And that's really, really something that Georgia State hasn't had in a while. And I, I think that the the other thing is that the worry coming into this year might have been with all that was lost with the seniors. Is there that guy when the clock is ticking that's going to take that shot? And I still trust, you know, if Kane Williams got the ball in his hands or if Justin Roberts has the ball in his hands. But I think it's pretty clear that Corey Allen is that dude for the 2019-20 Georgia State Panthers. And Already knowing that in non-conference play, seeing that he's kind of got that, like with his buzzer beater against Dartmouth, that's a good thing to take away if you didn't learn anything else from non-conference play. I do want to circle back to at the exhibition against Bruton Parker. I In the post-game interview, I asked Coach Lanier about how it seems like there are a lot of competent ball handlers on this roster and in the past in a past Georgia state teams it's really been kind of the offense flowing through one singular point of like a focal point of the office of the offense rather but it to me just from putting eyes on this team so far my biggest takeaway is that there are multiple guys in the backcourt specifically um, whether it be on the bench or in the starting role or you know some floating kind of combination of those two that can handle the ball, competently run the offense, and that it's not a liability to have the ball in their hands, which is something that's really cool, and I'm very excited to see how that translates to you know conference play within the Sun Belt. But, I mean, Ayn Williams and Damon Wilson are you're kind of like returning guys in the backcourt. We knew they were going to be a, a big focus point in how the offense flows, and I think that Corey Allen has been the biggest surprise to me personally just because maybe that was – my fault with not uh, keeping up, you know, with the recruiting as much or just not knowing that what we had coming into the game, but between him and Justin Roberts, both of them have really impressed me with the way that not only are they able to, you know, get their shots off and be able to, you know, go out and get points, but guys that are out here, you know, whether it be, you know, stats that are showing up on the stat sheet, like a regular assist or like a like a hockey assist, so to speak, of a pass that leads to the assist, that it just seems the ball never really grows stagnant. And I think that that's something that was a part of the Coach Hunter offense that some Panther fans had an issue with, that a lot of times it would fall back into a little bit of hero ball or a little bit of... Like just you see late in the shot clock. Oh man, you know, there's four seconds left. I'm just going to put a shot up because we have to, or else it's going to be a turnover. So I've been really impressed specifically with Corey Allen and his ability to create his own shot, but not so limited to him relying on that to where we're able to get more guys involved and keep the ball moving. And that's been something that I'm really excited to see how that continues to develop as these guys 
get more chemistry and, you know, be more comfortable with each other. The coaching staff becomes more comfortable with, you know, guys on the floor running their own stuff or whether it's, you know, very from the top down directed. It's just that kind of chemistry on court can only be developed through playing games together. And I see that this team is getting more comfortable with each other. So that's something that has really stuck out to me so far. And with Mercer specifically ended last week talking kind of like, it's been nice that the offense has been doing what it's been doing most games, but would like to see the defense be as advertised and do. And that happened. The The Mercer wins, well, the, the, the offense had a good game, especially the second half. That win was because of the defense. Are you telling me holding a team to zero field goals through the first like 10 minutes is good? It's okay. certainly not bad. Okay, just making sure. So how as this game was going on and... I admittedly was following along and then watched it later. But what I saw later confirmed what I was seeing was going on was as David alluded to six of 32 for Mercer in the first half shooting. And so that wasn't going to stay where it was, but Georgia state also shot 36% in the first half in 10 from three. And so I was going to grant you that Mercer was going to have a better shooting half in the second half, but I was also going to say Georgia State is probably also not going to shoot sub 37, you know, sub 40. And that bared out because Georgia State shot 59% and six of eight from three in the second half. And so while Mercer very improved in the second half, the tone had kind of been set and Georgia State had gotten a comfortable lead. And anytime Mercer tried to chip away and get it back to less than seven or eight, there was always an answer. That's one thing that we talked about so far early in the season. They've just shown a ton of grit. And I know it's a little weird throwing that word out in a game that they won so comfortably. But you're right. Like Mercer outscored Georgia State in the second half. But at the same time, though, Georgia State played so well in the first half that anytime Mercer went on like an 8-0 run to, you know, cut the deficit to 5-6, threatened like they were going to get back in the game. Georgia State just found a way to get a turnover, get a stop, you know, get that basket that they needed to keep pushing the lead out to where it was. And that's exactly what you want your teams to do. I think it's kind of analogous to how a lot of people, I feel like, devalue wins that come early in the year. So, like, wins in October are still as important as wins in March when it comes to importance for, you know, down the stretch. And Georgia State's defense was so good to start off the game that they gave themselves the cushion to be able to play a little slower and down tempo and kind of work the clock. But the defensive front that they put out and pressure that they applied to Mercer in the first half absolutely translated directly to the success that you saw that led to the win. I mean, they outscored Mercer 31 to 18 in the first half and was like David said, we're actually outscored in the second half, 43 to 42. But because as Brady had said, because they were so swarming and dominant on defense early, it was just too big of a hole to climb out of for Mercer. And anytime they started getting on those runs, the, the Panther offense responded and was able to take control of the, the ball, uh, you know, score at will or be able to control the pace of the game to play how they wanted to. And it's just, even if the defensive intensity and the defensive pressure isn't there or is, isn't uh, as effective for all 40 minutes, when you're playing lights out defense for 10 minutes and then the rest of the game you play at your normal pace, you're still putting yourself in a position to win. 
Would you believe me if I told you that they did not miss a basket in the last five minutes of the game? <laughs> yeah, I would. I definitely would. There were turnovers, and there's stuff to clean up that could have made it even more of a comfortable win in that five minutes. But every time they got a look late in the game, it was just buckets. And so that's how you close out. Even if the defense at the end wasn't wasn't the, what it was in the first half, if the offense is just not going to miss shots, then you're not going to lose that game. So before we go and talk about what's next for the men's basketball team, we did have a question this week. Uh, Mike from Marietta wants to know which men's basketball newcomer has impressed us the most. And uh, Taylor already said he's been a big fan of Corey Allen and Justin Roberts. But what about the rest of you guys? What do you think? Yeah, I would say for me, if I had to pick one, I would say Roberts, because even after all I just said about Corey Allen, there was kind of an expectation coming in with him. And so maybe just on a scale of like what I was expecting versus reality, because I didn't really know what Justin Roberts was as a basketball player. I didn't know what his skill set was. I didn't know how good he was. I didn't know if he was going to just be like Kane Williams back up in the point guard rotation, whatever. And he's totally impressed. He is able to make shots and he's his 3% has been climbing steadily. It's at 34, but it was in the low twenties. So been taking and making shots a lot more recently. And he's already got 20 steals on the season through nine games. And he's just always going to be working that side of it on defense. And I think he sets a lot of the tone as far as what coach Lanier wants on defense. And if I can chime into your point about Justin Roberts real quick, Brady, the three point percentage has been climbing steadily, like you said. So it's sitting at 34.4% right now. Um, What's impressed me most about Justin Roberts is his willingness to be, like I was saying, that everybody in the backcourt has the ability to competently run the offense. And that's showing up in your top four guys that I just mentioned, Kane Williams, Justin Roberts, Corey Allen, and David Wilson, all leading this team with at least two assists each. You know, Damon Wilson's got 2.3. Again, Allen's got 2.4. But my point being is that Justin Roberts has been engaged both from a scoring perspective, but also he's the second uh, in the team in assists, which has been really impressive to me. He's been really good on defense. Like, I know Brady mentioned the steals, um, but just kind of, I think steals sometimes are a product of your defensive scheme. Um, and also active hands, but Justin Roberts, I feel like has shut down to a degree, a lot of opposing guards um, and forced them kind of away from what they want to do, which is definitely, definitely what you want to see, especially as Georgia state adjusts to this man defense. And I guess just as a general point, it's funny, but because Corey Allen and Justin Roberts weren't coach Lenny your guys quote quote he he didn't recruit them they were sitting out last year they were on the team already um i don't know whether it's you know luck whether it's coaching i have a feeling it's coaching to a large degree but these weren't his recruits and they weren't recruited to play this system and they've pretty seamlessly been ready for it and so i i I think it's testament to them i think it's a testament to the coaches and i think it just it shows that maybe there was a lot right with this hire all right. So uh, thanks very much, Mike, for your question. Uh, I think there's a lot of positive stuff to see in the newcomers, the freshmen, and the people that have transferred in for this men's basketball team. But uh, let's move on and take a look at their next couple of games when the Texas schools come into town. It's going to be an early Sunbelt opener for the Panthers basketball team. 
Yeah, I gotta gotta attack those finals first, uh, which is the reason for the break <laughs> in games. <laughs> I don't know if they'll do a man to man or a zone with that. Oh my god! Hopefully, man to man. I think zone is probably illegal by NCA regulations. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel I feel like zone defense for uh, for exams is uh, tantamount to cheating. But uh, yeah, that go off. That seems like that. Uh, that However, like the metaphor doesn't work. It is encouraged to slap the floor once you get your test. <laughs> 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 your teacher is probably going to just score on you immediately after that but oh my god okay. <laughs> it is arlington first yes which it, it, it's always it's funny you know it's been kind of a buried storyline but georgia state texas arlington has been the sunbelt championship of the last two years i was just <laughs> gonna say that and it's weird because it doesn't feel like this is the these two teams have played each other in high stakes games. But, you know, I feel like these two teams are in very different positions and in different places as I don't want to say franchises as schools. You know, <laughs> um, UTA is still kind of trying to figure their way through this, not having a star player, but still being a good team era that they're in. And, you know, obviously we talk about georgia state so you should know what there is to say about them um but i don't know i'm i know that last year the texas state was kind of the better team and the better matchup uh all the way up until the sunbelt championship game but i'm still interested to see how ut arlington does i still think that that's a fine school and fine program as it relates to sunbelt basketball so i think they're probably better than their early season out of conference record (laughs) And they've had a tough out-of-conference slate, just by the way. A theme of their coach. Chris Ogden, I think, wants them to get challenged. And I think it paid off for them last year because once the Mavs hit conference play, they just started rattling off wins, and they just played really tough. And both of these games could charitably be described as rock fights if the two Texas schools have their way because that's kind of, in their own ways, how each of the schools wants to play. And just low score. It's a very big hallmark of Danny Casper and what he's doing at Texas State. So it was promising to see the defense be what it was for Georgia State in the Mercer game. Because if that's an overture, if that can come back after the goals break, then you can hang in a game like that. Uh, And I think that it's a situation where if you get something like the offensive you know, say the Dartmouth game, you get something resembling the defense of the Mercer game. I think the star power of Georgia State, as we're starting to see exists, you know, with your Corey Allen, that I think that that can be enough and the home field advantage. It's definitely nice that you get to play these two teams early. Uh, I know Georgia State lost to Texas State in Atlanta last year, but that's you're still playing in front of your fans. You're still playing in you're still playing in your atmosphere, you know, so especially as we kind of get into the more meat and potatoes of the Georgia state season. These are the type of games that you want to have just to kind of get your feet wet, continue to build that chemistry. And, you know, it's always nice to start off conference play good at home undefeated. And this is a team that's used to winning at home, especially in conference play under coach Hunter, since returning to the Sunbelt Panthers are 78 and 34 overall. And there's, you know, you can count on your two hands the number of times they've lost at home conference play. In fact, you might only need one hand. And I think that so far the team's been undefeated at home. That's continued, but 
there's going to be some tough conference teams that come in here and continuing to just chalk up those wins, just tick, 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 win at home, take care of business in Rome. It affords you to lose one on the road. Not that you want to, but it affords you that chance as long as you continue to take care of your business at home. And that's going to put you in a good position to win the conference, have a good seed, make it to the conference tournament in New Orleans. And that you kind of touched on something I said earlier is that wins in December are just as important as wins in March and February down the stretch. So, I mean, the fact that they're taking care of business at home so far is a great sign. And if we can keep that up, then I see absolutely no way that Georgia State uh, meets that initial projection coming into the season of finishing down towards the bottom of the Sun Belt. Yeah, so I'm glancing at the Sun Belt standings right now. Um, Georgia State is sitting at three and zero at home. The only other teams in the conference that are undefeated at home: Georgia Southern is at four and zero, App State is at four and zero, and Louisiana Lafayette is at four and zero. But really, like this, nobody's really separated themselves from the pack in terms of their overall record. The uh, the best team in the conference by way of overall record is Arkansas State, seven and two. Um, they've won two in a row, but it's still, I mean, it's too, a little bit too early in the season to start talking about, you know, who's breaking away in the pack because we haven't really even gotten a conference play yet, but Georgia state is really setting themselves up well to do everything they need to, to perform well and be right back in the conversation in the mix for, you know, winning the conference again this year. Well, Joe Lenardi, I think seems to agree with you because his latest bracketology that came out today as of recording this podcast has the Panthers as a 14 seed in the East region playing Auburn. They back. But it's December. So Auburn is still undefeated as of recording this podcast. Correct. What if I think One only of, five undefeated teams left in the country? I believe that's correct. RIP for the my boys at DePaul. Anyway, moving on. So ultimately it's going to come down to the Panthers got to take care of business at home. You can watch your Panthers in action on the 19th of December, 7 o'clock at home against UTA, and then on the 21st at 1 o'clock at home against Texas State. And they go on the road on the 23rd to face the Mustangs of SMU. And then they round out their 2019 campaign with a homestand against Middle Georgia State. So that's what you got on the deck for the next couple of games of Panther basketball action. And I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, like Brady alluded to earlier, we are going to have a more detailed breakdown of Georgia state's matchup with Wyoming coming soon. So be on the lookout for that. Um, be sure to make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, um, all that fun stuff to make sure you're staying in the loop for all the latest Georgia state news. Uh, other than that, have a great weekend and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. See you. Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com. 